Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another episode of the Better Together podcast. I'm your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm your other co-host, Callie Picardo. And today we are so excited that our guest is none other than the Reverend Dr. Kent Millard, who's the president of United Theological Seminary and one of the greatest assets to the school and personally to Callie and I as a mentor and somebody that we look up to Kent has several decades of pastoral experience and leads with a pastor's heart, which today is um, still very rare and unusual um, leading major in large organizations. Callie, do you want to say anything else as we intro Kent? We are just constantly learning from Kent. And one of the areas that we have both been blessed personally is just to see and watch him lead Um not with his own strength, though he's got a lot of gifts, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, letting God first lead him. And I feel like, Kent, every time you enter a situation, you said, well, in my quiet time this morning, here's what God was showing me, or the scripture verse that comes to mind. I mean, he always brings it back to the Bible. And so, Kent, we just want to say welcome. Welcome to the Better Together podcast. Thank you, Callie and Raj, for this invitation to be a part of your podcast on the being better together, which is always true. And uh, I just want to say a word of appreciation to both of you because you are both outstanding leaders, spiritual leaders at the seminary and at Mosaic. And uh, the world is a better place because of your leadership and your dependent upon Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Kent. Thanks, Kent. Well, today we wanted to talk about godly leadership. There are a lot of people that are Christians um, that are in leadership, but God, you don't, it doesn't. Just because you're a Christian and leadership doesn't make your leadership style God honoring. So how how do you honor God, put God first as you lead others? What came to me and you asked me that question was two words. Uh, absolute trust in God and surrender. Um, for me, uh, I got out of seminary and thought I had all this education and advanced degrees and thought I was really smart and started doing things in local churches and uh, a lot of frustrations and so forth. And I was driven to uh, my knees and discovered that uh, you, you're a leader of the church, not on your own power, but by being a channel of the power of God. And for one way that occurred to me was to expect miracles as a leader, to expect miracles. Jesus, in Matthew 13, goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and they he preaches in the synagogue. Uh, they oppose him. And in the last words of that text are these, and Jesus did no mighty works, or did no miracles in Nazareth. Why? Because of their unbelief. People didn't believe, and Jesus didn't do miracles. I always 
just wonder how many miracles are not being done in our churches because of our failure of belief in miracles ourselves as leaders. We don't believe it's possible. We fall into the rational thing that, well, this could never happen. And we don't believe that with God, all things are, power, are, are possible. And uh, in the scripture, Jesus is constantly saying to someone like the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you well. And right after that, to the two blind men, your faith has made you well. That faith plays a part in the miracle. Now, we don't determine the miracles. Our, our faith doesn't make the miracle happen. Because only God does that. But it's our faith is a part of it. Uh, and I just wonder that phrase that's lived with me, he did no miracles because of their unbelief. And I think miracles are not happening in healings, in uh, stewardship, in giving, in our congregations because of our lack of belief. Because often it's easy for, for pastors to become cynical and negative as the, as the community around us. And we're called in something back? different. How do you get back? Because I feel like especially after some really hard years recently, a lot have kind of lost their trust, lost their belief, or they still believe, exactly. but they haven't seen it and they're just discouraged. So how do you, when you're discouraged, how do you get back to that point well, of trust? Well, for me, uh, the idea is always surrender, mm-hmm. surrender back to God. So one of my practices is every morning when I wake up, uh, I... I think about what's happening that that day. And then I take all of it out of my mind and put it in my hands. My concerns about meetings I'm going to have, my concerns about finances, my concerns about my children or grandchildren. I just take them one at a time out of my mind, put them in my hands, and I turn my hands over and say, I surrender this into the hands of God. Do with it as you will. Whatever you do, I thank you. And then the burden of my having to do the right thing is is over because I've already surrendered control. And I, I think for me, it's always surrendering. It's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. That is the heart, I think, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to pray his prayer. He said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, not what I want. Because so often when I pray, there's something I want. I really want something to happen. So I, you know, we have something we want to happen. So we want God to make it happen. I think it's the other way around. We can say, this is what I want, as Jesus did. You know, let this cup pass for me. This is what I want. But more than that, I want your will to be done. So I surrender my will into your hands. It's okay to make a request to God. I mean, scripture says, make your request to God. Make your request to God. That's okay. That's fine. But don't assume that God will agree with your request. You mean he's not our daddy that we just ask God for what we want, like a genie in the bottle, and he just poof makes it happen? (laughs) I don't think it works that way. At least not in my experience that uh, things I prayed for fervently did not happen. But something better happened. Something different happened. And uh, I just humbled before God. That God, uh, that God does that. Yeah. Now it's not always immediate. Not always uh, the way we want or the things we want. Uh, someone, and particularly this has been true for me in prayers for healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I discovered that when you pray for healing, 
God may respond in one of four different ways. God may provide an immediate healing. That happened in scriptures. It's happened in my life. It's happened in your life. You pray for someone and the healing is immediate. It happens. Not always. But the fact that it happens at all <laughs> should change our faith. Sometimes there's an immediate healing. Sometimes there's a gradual healing. You know, that was true in the scriptures, too. I mean, in this, in the parable about the uh, story about the Good Samaritan, he's taken to an inn where he's given medicine and he's healed over time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes healing is gradual. You may pray for someone, may not be anything immediately, but that prayer and that work uh, slowly makes a difference. I've experienced those kind of healings as well. And sometimes uh, the, there's no healing at all in the way we want it. But the person is given the grace to live victoriously in the midst of the illness. It's like Paul prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh to be healed. He begged God to heal him. And God didn't heal him. Mm-hmm. But said, my grace is sufficient unto you. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that true too. I remember praying for a woman who had uh, severe arthritis, and she was very, very painful, and she was at a church service, and we prayed for her, and afterwards, she was just ecstatic, and I said, oh, is your arthritis better? So she looked, she said, no, no, it still hurts, but isn't God wonderful? Hmm. She was almost living above the pain, and she always looked at that event as her healing time. Now, she was technically not physically healed of arthritis, but she was spiritually blessed, and then sometimes the fourth way of healing is the ultimate healing is union of our souls with God. The ultimate healing is when our body leaves, our, our, our body wears out. They all do. Not, none of us are going to live physically forever. I think we all know that. But the ultimate healing is when we let go of the physical body and are healed in our relationship, entering into God's presence. Where did you and when, or was there a certain circumstance that helped you um, to expect miracles? I mean, when did that start in your life and ministry? I was a pastor at uh, Canyon Lake United Methodist Church in Rapid City, South Dakota in the 1970s. And the Methodist Church had a program called uh, uh, International Evangelists or something like that. And you'd uh, invite someone from another country to come and preach for a week at your church. And I invited a evangelist I'd never heard of, uh, Reverend John Blacker from Australia. When he got off the plane, he said, I'm charismatic. And I would like to pray, have prayers of healing services. Is, is that okay with you? I'd have to say I'd never met a charismatic. <laughs> and I said, I'm a liberal. I said, sure, you can do what you want. You know, I open anything. But what shocked me was that people were healed. I mean, it, it just blew my worldview out of order because I was fairly rational, uh, never uh, went to a seminary that, you know, did not emphasize prayers of healing and said, you know, what those healing prayers on TV are all a sham and people are pretending that healing doesn't happen like that. I mean, really, we're, that's why I was there. But working with Reverend Blacker, I saw all of those kinds of healings happen. And it changed me. The way it changed me is to take my prayers more seriously. Now, I always went to the hospital and prayed for people. I mean, ministers are supposed to do that. 
Well, honestly, I never expected anything to happen. <laughs> you know, I just prayed, you know. But after that experience with Reverend Blacker, when I prayed for someone in the hospital, it just became a holy moment. And I, I knew it was a possibility that someone could be healed. Mm-hmm. Not through me, but through God's prayer. Yeah. And that and that changed me in my uh, intensity of prayer and importance of prayer. And it, after that event, I began to think with God, all things are possible. I mean, it started with healing. And then we started having the miracles of, of generosity, uh, where, you know, you presented with a problem that seems impossible. When I came to United uh, in 2016, Callie and I met and talked about our financial challenges. We were a million dollars behind on the budget. We owed $4 million on the debt. We had $3 million debt on on the endowment. And uh, this uh, <laughs> was bigger than both of us. Uh, and so I remember in my office, we just prayed, God, we surrender United into your hands. Do with it as you will, whatever you do. We thank you. And God is so faithful because then God put us in touch with the Jameses and they helped us balance the budget and then they helped us pay off the mortgage and many other people gave and we sold property. I remember when we announced at the uh, trustees meeting in 2017 that we were going to set a goal of paying off the mortgage by 2021 for our 150th anniversary. Privately, a couple of trustees came out to me and said, Can't you, you shouldn't be saying things like that because that's not possible. <laughs> you know, we, we don't have uh, deep pockets in our donor base and uh, people are going to be disappointed. And uh, I said, and that may well be. But I believe with God, all things are possible. And uh, and it happened. I mean, in October, uh, $4 million was given. We burned the mortgage on the building and celebrate our 150th anniversary. Um, so for me, it, it's always coming back to that uh, when, it, when you're leading and you have an issue you're facing, take it to God, surrender it to God in prayer and keep praying for it all the time. Whenever it comes up, say, I surrender into your hands, do with it as you will, whatever you do, I thank you. And then to let it, let it go and let God, uh, just trust in God, give a little bit of faith. You know, Jesus says, a mustard seed size of faith is all God takes. Just open the door a little bit. Yeah. And we've got to have a front row seat to so many miracles. I mean, oh my goodness. Sometimes just when you see a miracle, it just gives you that encouragement, that faith. And say, I've seen God do it before. So I know God can do it. And if I know God wants to, he'll do it again. I've seen though, and I know you've probably seen this too, the temptation, even though knowing it was God to do it, sometimes the ego, the power rises up in leaders. And we've seen so many Christian leaders just struggle with that power and end up right. making right. moral stumbles well, or failures. How do you stay humble? Well, all of us do. When something good happens, we say, look at me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the nature of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, ego. Ego, E-G-O means edging God out. Whenever my ego, and I know when I'm edging God out. I know it. I can feel it. I'm taking credit for something God did. Mm-hmm. And I think when we begin to do that, we think it's about us. And then the rules of morality don't apply to us because we're so wonderful. See, I think one of the problems sometimes is too much compliments to people. 
you know, I know when I was preaching, I, people come out and say, what a wonderful sermon. You know, boy, I'm, I'm really something, you know, really got all these people. <laughs> so uh, I think I, a friend told me that more pastors are ruined by compliments than by criticisms. Oh, wow. mm. Yeah. That we begin to believe them, that it's me, mm-hmm. you know, and you always have to fight against that because when you have a victory like burning the mortgage, people come up and say, well, I'm so, look, look what you did. I said, no, I, I didn't do this. That's it. <laughs> I didn't do this. Uh, you know, I know God did this and I give praise and glory to God. And that's why we give thanks to God because God's doing the heavy lifting now that we have our little role to play. Kelly and I do. We have an important role to play. But God does the heavy work. Mm-hmm. And God changes the hearts. And God makes these miracles happen. And we need to keep that perspective because we all, if we begin to think and begin to believe our own press and think we're really something special and how lucky they are to have us, uh, then the devil is just uh, taking us down. I, I always say, you know, the little thing about the angel. Angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. You know, those cartoons. I think there's really something to that because the devil's always whispering in your ear, you're really something else. You're really special. They're lucky to have you. It builds up your ego. The angel would say, remember, God created you. God sustains you. And I give glory to God. And it depends on which voice you listen to that determines how you act. You know, we're living in an age now. Um, especially in the church. And it seems like weekly I'm seeing uh, pastors having moral failures and mm-hmm. um, whether it's moral failures or bullying or um, dissension where they're asked to leave. And these are large church pastors. Right. Uh, what, you know, and I, I really think it's, it doesn't matter. The, the size is irregardless. Right. Uh, Right, right. What, you know, and whether we're leading organizations or just leading our families or ourselves, what are, what are ways that you uh, remind yourself of staying close to Christ? Um, well, uh, Bishop Reuben Job once gave me these words of advice. <clears throat> he was my spiritual guide years ago. And he said he tried to spend an hour a day in prayer. An hour a day, uh, reading scripture and praying. He spent a day a month in a spiritual retreat, and a, a week, a year, in an extended spiritual retreat. And he was probably the most centered Christian leader I've ever known, uh, because he spent all that time with God. It's it's as if when you ask him a, a question, and he would pause for a moment and then give an answer, and you think, the Lord just spoke to me. Hmm. And it was his discipline. And that's what John Wesley says, too. You know, John Wesley was very disciplined, and he said, oh, begin to uh, fix a time for prayer in your life every day, or you, you'll become a trifler all your life. Uh, and I think a lot of us trifle with the church that unless we're spending time personally uh, in regular devotions. And for me, uh, it happened when I went to an Academy for Spiritual Formation sponsored by the Upper Room. They still have them where you take a week-long retreat uh, four times a year and uh, 
usually at a Catholic retreat center, and you learn to spend time in silence. And it almost killed me. When I go on retreats, I want to talk to people. I don't want to be silent. I'm just the worst thing I want to do. And and I had the hardest time spending four or five hours every day in silence. Oh, and then you spend all night in silence. After the last prayers at night, you can't talk till prayers in the morning. And uh, and God made this amazing discovery that there's such richness in silence. Silence is not empty. Hmm. Uh, be still and know God. And I think if we can't be still, we can't know God. Hmm. Bishop Lowry is coming as our bishop in residence at United. And I interviewed him recently. And he said, you know, John Wesley is famous for saying, uh, do good, do no harm and stay in love with God. And he said one of the hardest things he sees for leaders is that staying in love with God peace. And I think that's what you're talking about, Kent, that cultivating that relationship where you don't need to talk to anyone else if you've got God. If you've got that time with the Lord, it sustains you in ministry. One of the books that helped me in this was Celebration of Discipline, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I mean, it's an old book. I keep going back to it because it really turned my thinking around because the way he talks about prayer and meditation and fasting and all the spiritual disciplines, you know, we're not the first Christians on the road here. Christians have been around for 2000 years, some of them far more faithful than we are. And they all had developed spiritual disciplines. And we think we can do it without the disciplines. Mm -hmm. And now he calls it a celebration of discipline because once you, we think this one's a heavy thing. But once you get into a discipline, there's a freedom. There's amazing freedom that comes when you know you don't carry the burdens of the world on your shoulders. God's carrying us all on God's shoulders. So you trust God. Um, So I, I think... Uh, when when pastors begin to burn out, if you begin to go back, uh, you often discover there's a decline in their prayer time. They got too busy. I've been at times when I was too busy to pray, mm-hmm. um, and and it it showed up. Yeah, that's a good reminder, Ken. I think that's a good spot for us, especially starting at the beginning of a new year, beginning of 2022, to figure out where do we need to go back to those disciplines? Where do we need to grow in our relationship with the Lord? Um, God's calling us to lead in our own spheres of life, whether you're president of the seminary or you're just trying to lead in your own household or um, influence your peers around you. God wants to use us. And so, Kent, I'm so thankful you've joined us today. This has been incredible learning from you. And oh my goodness, I hope it encourages our listeners to know that there is a president of a seminary out there, United Theological Seminary, that is leading in this way. And so our prayer is that all the students coming through United will learn and grow in the same ways so that they are going out, impacting the church, impacting lives, making disciples who make disciples. So Kent, we are so thankful for you joining us today and for being president of United. It is a joy and honor to work with you and to have you join us um, on our podcast. Thank you very much, Kelly and Roz. I just thank God for you and and for this podcast. Well, uh, to our listeners, uh, thank you for being with us and please share this podcast. I think it's uh, valuable for anybody that is desiring to grow closer to God uh, in this new year, learning to stay humble as a leader And also, not only that, but expect a miracle in this new year. God bless.
Amen.